welcome to this uh, special edition of on point uh, there are a lot of issues uh, uh, which will we will be going through uh, from the unrest in the campuses to the issue of faculty uh, the university control there, there there will be layers to our discussion and uh, i would you know i would really like you know if you can bring all those issues which affect uh, jawaharlal nehru university delhi university in vishwa bharati uh, on which where our focus would be primarily and uh, and this also becomes important in context of the sort of uh, controversies we have witnessed in kanur university uh, in context of syllabus but then uh, the foremost uh, our focus will remain on um, this increase uh, tension between the vice chancellor the student body and faculty and of the centers growing control over the indian academic institutions joined by nalini ranjan mohanty and uh, he's a senior journalist and academician and former president of jnu students union uh, and now i'm also uh, uh, we are also joined by uh, mr puranjan joshi is an acting vice chancellor of university of delhi sir uh, welcome now i'm joined by my um, colleague uh, uh, devashri she she is a she's a senior editor with us and she is also specializes in education sector and re- has done uh, research reporting and written about it so welcome devashri uh so now we will start our conversation so i'll take this uh, question to uh, uh mr mohanty mr mohanty is it correct that the tension has increased in the campuses and why if so uh i would say that it's it all depends on uh, uh institutions where the authorities how do they look at the students i would not say that it's something which has increased over the years it has uh, remained even when jnu was an institution where democratic traditions were absolutely dominant that time there were several universities across the country where the authoritarian tendencies were working although i would say that there were it worked both ways that the students in many universities were rowdy and that's the reason the administration also came down heavily but there are but ultimately the responsibility lies with the administration jnu emerged as a very model institution of its own because of its first vice chancellor dr g patsarthi who had that expansive attitude about a student community he did not see the students to be subjugated he wanted students to be part of a democratic uh, transactions within the campus and that's why he allowed students participation at all levels at the level of the faculty in the department sfc student faculty committee which had a major role in the admission process which it had a role in the center level in the st- in the their school level in the university level in the hostel committee in the dean's committee in the vice chancellor's committee and also in the academic council executive council and the university court i was a president of the students union i attended all in inst- all higher institutions of decision making executive council academic council and the university court where it's all right i was in a minority i and my general secretary both two were the representatives but 
we at least put across the students' point of view before all the dignitaries, before the university officials, the faculty members, as well as the external members who came as visitor, president of India's nominees and the ministry's nominees and all of them. So it was, it was possible for us to put across our point of view. And that's the reason your democratic temperament evolved. And that's why this is a democratic temperament which we also reciprocated to the administration and the faculty. Whenever there were an issue, even I would give an example of a university. When I was a president, there were a student group of students which demanded a professor. He was a professor in computer science. His dismissal and at least suspension saying that that student who was complaining was a civil class student saying that they have humiliated me on caste lines. But I insisted and our council insisted that this charge has to be proved. If you just made a charge on that basis, we will not go and demand from the vice chancellor that the professor should be suspended. And we said, and that's why I went to the vice chancellor. Vice chancellor set up a committee which enormous credibility. We all, I said, this is a committee which is eminently acceptable to the student community. And that's a committee which will decide. So these are the kind of quid pro quo that happen between the administration on the one hand and the student community on the other that provided the democratic environment, which is surely missing today. And that's what you see the students in Jawaharlal Nehru University today have been removed from all spheres of decision making. And that's, that, that would naturally lead to confrontations. Lots of problems are resolved when you talk talk across the table and and find certain kind of solutions. And because after all, it is all students and their teachers who are there and a handful of administrative officials, but mostly they are the teachers. And it's absolutely possible to resolve the problems if you sit across the table, if you give student a voice, if you try to suppress their voice, obviously the dissent will grow and that would lead to undemocratic developments across the campus. I think uh, the key takeaway word which you used was democratization of interaction. Uh, Debashi, uh, tell me one thing. I think there's a bit of a problem, uh, technical issue. We'll get uh, Mr. Joshi uh, soon uh, back with us. Uh, tell me one thing. Is there a, is there a sort of a break uh, pre and post-2014? Because, you know, if we talk about the control, various uh, ideology-run governments had their own control, like the left... Uh, in West Bengal, left in Kerala, or uh, the institutions uh, run by BJP government, Madhya Pradesh, every political party has done it. So when we try to locate this debate in time, Debashri, is there a discontinuity? Is there a discontinuity, Debashri? Yeah, um, thanks, Kazikya. Uh, I think Nalini uh, had this answer in when he started with his speech, and he said that JNU. You know, if you see the history of JNU as it were, and now what is the position with the university and the entire democratization or, uh, you know, the lack of it that has happened. Uh, if you trace back, problems between administration, government and universities are not new. It's not a new phenomenon. It's been, it has existed for, uh, you know, it has existed uh, since time immemorial. We've seen uh, administrative issues with governments in the past. And we've seen administrative issues uh, have, uh, you know, now. Uh, the difference, uh, you know, 
then and now, as I can see, and I think Nalini uh, will also weigh in in here, uh, is the level of participation and the level of control. It's, I think the operative word here is control that uh, the governments seem to have this university level uh, at all universities and primarily with the three that we're talking about today. Uh, that has sort of increased. And uh, so it's a two-way process. The control has increased and participation has decreased. Uh, and whether it has, whether, uh, you know, and this has had a uh, root cause and that's been a part of the problem. Uh, I will add to the two instances that Nalini gave. One, he, I mean, the instance that he gave was where uh, able participation solved matters in JNU at one point in time. If you see this year, it has been marred with a lot of controversies and student faculty has come on, on board and said that, you know, uh, if you are setting up a medical college within the campus, uh, why was this not discussed in the open? Why was, is it under JNU's uh, purview to have a medical, uh, you know, not just a medical institution, but also a medical college and a hospital within the campus? It should have been a decision that would have involved uh, a lot of other student governing bodies, but it was a decision solely taken by the vice chancellor's office. Whether it was uh, in the right state, whether uh, you know this this entire democratization that has actually fallen apart um, is for all to see and uh, discuss about today. So to answer your question, Kartikya, uh, problems have always been uh, there. Uh, you know, it has always been a part of the system, but the way we dealt with it is uh, is what makes the difference. Uh, and these are the few examples that we could get from JNU. Uh, the same is happening with Viswabharati University also. Uh, there have been students and faculty suspended and their future is in the hanging because uh, we do not know what's going to happen to them. Uh, the vice chancellor's office there also has taken a few decisions that uh, could be questioned. Uh, but is something really being done to that? Uh, the answer is up in the air. So, yeah. I, uh, I think that's an interesting thing, uh, uh, but uh, uh, Debushri, you know, uh, the associated issue associated issue here is that uh, what makes the uh, student activism or the relationship with the student's body uh, different with the faculty and vice chancellor from what the campuses saw in 1970s. Just to uh, create a historical location, uh, the campuses in 70s uh, had far more unruly scenes. Uh, you, 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 you know, you had students protesting against then the prime minister. So, is there a is so, Mr. Mohanty, is there a difference in the kind of tension which historically, I would say, globally after 1967 and 70s, specifically in India, uh, is different from what we have seen in last couple of years? I agree that uh, 60s and 70s, especially 60s, when the campus revolution spread across Europe and America, and uh, where in, in certain parts of India as well. But that is uh, a historic uh, phase where communism had a lots of attractions. Uh, communism as an ideology has had a lot of attractions. That attraction has obviously gone with the collapse of Soviet Union. And that's why the campuses are not very attractive. Although, although the other day I was listening to Professor Richard Wolf, who is uh, in the new school in New York, uh, a professor who calls himself a communist, Marxist, and uh, 
huge broadcasts and podcasts are heard over 70 channel television uh, stations and uh, radio stations and uh, apparently millions of people listen to him so there is a certain kind of attraction still that is a, that it is in america but nevertheless you look at the campuses somehow that attraction is gone jnu of course had still that attraction for the left but uh, that also has been diluted to a large extent but as Devoshi was saying that uh, it's 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 an conscious effort of a government of a ruling political party to completely decimate any antagonistic student organization that has contributed a lot take for example when i was a student most of the time it was the congress which was in power three years where the janata party was in power and but this during this Congress regime, we had NHUI. NHUI, which was a vibrant organization in JNU campus. In fact, Provater uh, Parkala, who is uh, now a famous, great uh, intellectual and husband of our, uh, again, another alumna of our university, Nirmala Sitaraman. So he was the president of the NSUI. He had contested election against me. He was a very, very dear friend of mine. And we all were part of that democratic discourse. And But I would say that even if Congress party was in power, he never got laid off by any means. He never had any distinct advantage. The university administration did not provide him anything which we could complain of that we were being discriminated against. And that's, that's, but today look at it. Look at the ruling party youth wings are, goons are getting into the campus with lattes and beating up and getting out. The police stands still and the university the administration defends them. This is the kind of culture which has generate, degenerated the university campus. And this is in fact incentivizing the resort to arms, that's the only way that you'd be able to express your might. We, as students, were virulent protesters, but we never had a single instance of any violent incidents. That's what, that's what distinguished our student movement. We expressed our protest through our slogans, through our posters, through our action, but all non-violent action. That way we were greater votaries, or even if we were socialists, I was not a communist. I was in fact fighting against communists, the establishment communists within the campus, but I had a socialist background and we, the left-wingers were in fact the great followers of the Gandhian path. You know, you use the word left-winger, I'll come back to you. And I again uh, would like to inform uh, our audience listening to this conversation that we are trying to connect uh, uh, Mr. Puranchan Joshi. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, technical issues get better, better of editorial ones. So, uh, uh, Debushri, Mr. Mohanty used the left word. So, to take on from the, the word left, can I say that the present tumult on the campuses or the three on which we are focusing is result of a larger ideological war, Debashri, if I, if I have to use the word ideological war? Yes. Uh, so uh, an interesting point, and I, I quite agree with Malini here, 
that uh, you know ideological war uh, you know that we we've been talking about uh, and we've been talking about more vehemently since 2014 uh, see ideologies have always been a point of contention with university culture uh, you know from the 50s through uh, to the 20 we're in 2021 uh, now uh, but uh, you know with uh, you know we ideological discourse has always been uh, has always been approached from a very can you hear me am i loud am i loud enough yeah so uh, ideological discourse has always been uh, you know through, through through resounding debates and through you know student body participation it has never been uh, a discourse when it comes to vc appointments when it has not been uh, you know closely associated with decisions that the vice chancellor's offices have taken but that is the difference that we have seen nowadays that uh, the decisions that are coming out from uh, the main offices of vice chancellors are uh, supposed to be laced uh, with some kind of an ideological color that's where the problem lies Uh, and that is what is the uh, that is why the protests and that is why the uh, issue with faculty and students and uh, college administration uh, especially the vc office is because uh, which should have been only you know uh, which should have only been uh, confined to ideological healthy debate and discourse has now uh, become a part and parcel of the system uh, and that is precisely why uh, you know we are having this debate today and we are talking about it today because uh, it's no longer just a part of a debate or a discourse it's been uh, you know ideological lace up has happened through decisions and uh, the decision making has been influenced uh, you know we talk about another university here uh, which is also uh, you know i'm talking about jamia uh, and jamia has also been embroiled in a controversy for the past 2 years uh, regarding a vc appointment uh you know and whether it has an ideological uh, reference and an ideological backlog that is why uh, the problems and uh, that is why it's a standoff between the faculty and students of jamia against the vc office uh, so yeah to answer your question uh, ideological differences are rife uh, they should have been restricted to uh, debate and to healthy discourse but nowadays uh, we see decisions coming out which have an ideological color and therein lies the problem Debussy, is it also because of the fact that uh, uh, education per se, uh, post 1990s, and uh, learning per se, post 1990s, has moved outside universities globally, and uh, the lackadaisical approach of the government of not appointing it, not doing enough for the faculty, lack of funds, uh, lack of expansion, is a result of that that the economy of higher learning, which was like. Uh, historically has now moved out of the official spaces of universities devashri yeah. uh kartikeya we are talking about uh, thousands of uh, teacher positions that are vacant we would have loved to have uh, mr joshi uh, wayne here we just sorted it out i think technically uh, but we are talking about uh, not just teacher positions that have been vacant and uh, only and we are talking about central university is a special focus to do we have what 1000 teacher positions that are vacant uh, and we are talking of the nep being being rolled out in universities we are talking about the fyup coming into force uh, but where is the absorption here how if we don't have teachers to teach uh, how can we talk about important uh, you know how can we talk about implementing something as big as the nep or the fyup Uh, and that is where the teacher stance is that you know you give us you, we have ideas in place the ideas are 
uh, are excellent the ideas are very uh, cohesive ideas and we would like to implement them but proper absorption has not happened we are looking at uh, you know doing a lot of work with little hands uh, and uh, you know that has been a standoff also uh, teacher vacancies there have been colleges uh, in fact there have been 12 or 13 colleges that wanted to break away from the bu uh, because there was uh, you know non payment of grants and salaries especially during the pandemic uh, so all this is not uh, all this is not faring well for uh, the campus structure now and uh, you talked about global expansion we you know we ranked well in most of our uh, rankings that uh, uh, you know that, that that have come up in the last few weeks uh, you know du du is is right up there uh, you know but in in indian vis-a-vis -vis indian colleges and indian university rankings but globally we are not performed as uh, as good as we would have liked and a part of the problem is uh, you know is that we we don't have our house in order we don't uh, you know there are vacancies there are standoffs there are multiple decisions that are still pending at the vice chancellor's offices in various universities and nothing has been uh, moved uh, you know in the past two years and we are talking about important decisions here uh so yes to answer your question um yes we've had uh, you know this this entire uh, you know we have our structures and uh, we have our education system in place uh there are with the nep being rolled out there are a few good points that could come out of it but do we have uh, but do we have the wherewithal to go with it and to implement it uh i i i'm afraid no Uh, tell me one thing, Mr. Mohanty. Uh, very well put, uh, Devashree. Most of the rakas tumult has taken place in liberal arts universities, and those universities have done very well in ranking. Mr. Mohanty, uh, there is a bit uh, disturbance. Ah, uh, uh, tell me. Ah, uh, most of these university, these universities are liberal arts universities. they have done very well in ranking yeah. but most of the tumult has taken place in these three universities why yeah that the very idea of ours devashree was saying the jnu is starting has already started an engineering college college and then starting a medical college because they feel that the engineering and medical students are conformists and if we have large number of such conformists within the campus they would be able to dominate and liberal arts by nature because in the liberal arts we get, tend to study the critical aspects the critical evaluation of issues becomes the major template in our education process and that's why the university a good university professor tells us that you are a good human being you are a good citizen if you are a dissenter if you are a conformist then you certainly do a disservice to yourself to your community to your country and that's the voice that we express and demonstrate in all our life whether within the university campus or we pass out many 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 students of course uh, after university become conformists they get into bureaucracy get into a corporate uh, setup and become conformists but many of them in the back of their mind carry that idea that if i want to be a good human being good citizen then i have to have the dissenting attitude and that is what is the mainstay of, of education but that is what is completely negated by the technical education
and that's why the effort is because in technical education what do they do they all make these students the student proctor student uh, administrator so that you enforce discipline among the students so that the faculty stays back and that is what they create a division with there and thereby they try to rule and administer and there of course because of the nature of the courses also that dissenting attitude doesn't come onto the table and they all carry forward that that conformist uh, dialogue and become a protagonist of the system rather than a critical being critical of the okay. system and that's why that's why there is an effort that we must give a leg up to these technical institutions and try and undercut the liberal academic institution as much as possible mm -hmm. uh, i think we are now joined by uh, uh, mr purunchan joshi sir can you hear me yes i can hear you but can you hear me uh, yes i can hear you okay now finally we have you uh, with us we were we were we were having this discussion on the increased tension we were not able to have you at the uh, the opening of this conversation so i'll ask this question to you uh, is it correct to say that the tension between the vice chancellor's office faculty and students has risen in viswabharti delhi university and jnu is it correct well i would like to differ with you as far as university of delhi is concerned i think university of delhi has been quite different than jnu or viswabharti that you are talking about i think faculty and students have cooperated more than ever before in the functioning overall functioning of the university now to give you one example the examinations we were having around 87% attendance it has increased in the last two years to 95 so i i would say that university delhi has been quite different and distinct and i think faculty students and the administration have come much closer and you must not have seen any disturbance as far as domestic concern in the last few years and this is because of the open channel of communication i think is a I, I think technical issue has got better of us this time. Uh, Debushri, if you uh, Debushri to you, uh, you know earlier, you know coming coming back to this location of our conversation in history, activism was the cool thing to do. You know, uh, it was part and parcel and profile of a student. You know, there were a lot of activist students, but activism is seen from a different prism today. So if you uh, look at the narrative and debate. of the uh, the tension which happens with the coverage in mass media of universities somehow the activism has got a bad name now and uh, it's seen from the perspective of elements who disturb the academic rhythm of the university can you elaborate on this theme debushri yes so i would like to uh, you know when you talk about activism um we've got uh, you know we've got jnu here we've got uh, you know professor joshi is uh, you know i hope he's listening and i'm sure he'll have a lot to say uh, but uh, i'll take viswabharti uh, as a case in point here because uh, that's where uh, activism has been hit uh, as we speak 
so some students, uh, I mean, just to have a little playback as to the issue with Mr. Bharti, some students, uh, you know, there was a huge protest that happened in, uh, you know, in early of this year, and uh, and some students uh, said, I mean, allegedly they were beaten up and. Uh, uh, you know, locked up in uh, rooms so that uh, you know, so the faculty could not come out in support of the students. So uh, these are the things that were coming out. This is the news that was coming out from this university, uh, which brings us back to your question, Kantikeya, about activism. It was a cool word, uh, you know, but campus politics, especially the three campuses that we're talking about today, has given us our politicians, has given us our bureaucrats, and all this has happened for a reason. Uh, you know. So that is why activism was a much respected word in, uh, and because this activism that we speak about uh, was actually was, was done in the light of uh, issues, was done in the light of uh, the current debates, it was done in the light of, and was done in, in you know, in, uh, in an environment which was supportive uh, of activism. But nowadays, uh, and it, you know, it's, uh, Nalini would be uh, the right person to, uh, to, to you know, uh, to correct me if I'm wrong, but nowadays activism uh, is is not seen as a good uh, you know is is not seen as a cool term. It is seen uh, you know it is seen as disturbing elements because uh, you know probably the administration has no answers uh, to provide, or probably activism has also taken a different kind of a route. Uh, you know, earlier activism went and began with conversations, but now conversations have taken a backseat, and it has uh, become more of uh, you know more of verbal trolling, more of uh, toxic environment, more of uh, violence. You know, part of our ethics or campus ethics or culture. Uh, so, um, so yes, so activism from both sides has to be understood because I think it has changed vis-a-vis uh, where we talk about administrative processes and activism has changed from the student's point of view also. And uh, we've not, um, there's not a middle ground that we have broken even with. Um, would you agree also, uh, Nalini, I mean, I, I, don't, I think you'll, uh, you'll agree, uh, or, would you, or would you think that activism is activism hasn't changed per se it's just as the way we look at it and the way it has been reported yes Nalini, you were saying something uh, are you asking me yeah uh, so i wanted you also to speak about uh, you know activism uh, karthika raised a, a very important point here whether you know activism uh, it is it's no longer a cool word. It's been seen as, uh, you know, as something as, um, you know, as disturbing elements uh, who are present on the campus to just, uh, you know, to, to just kind of uh, give rise to unrest in universities. Do you think it is the case because uh, activism in per se, the word has undergone a difference in meaning? Uh, or do you think it is the way we have... Uh, 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 sorry. Yeah, please. No, unfortunately, I speak from the prism of a JNU campus. That's very true. That I, I did not have the exposure to activ of activism in other campuses. And, uh, uh, in, but in JNU campus, look at the down from the rev, right from the beginning, all the student leaders, all the presidents and secretaries, students, leaders, all have been some of the finest uh, students of the university who have done 
it's silly who were that time the bright most bright students and who have gone on to do things which shows their they have shown their sparkle in life so that's something that it's not something ruffians the riffraff of the university who get into the student politics like it used to happen in many universities like in my hometown in orissa okay. in orissa even the in my hometown there there was uh, there were uh, all criminals who were the union office bearers students union office bearers they used to sit in the uh, in the examination hall with knives uh, planted on the table and to say that anyone comes and checks will will be stabbed to death that's the kind of scenario that was there so that's a situation even that was happening in 70s and uh, 80s so so it is a jnu was a completely different ball game together jnu for anyone aspired to become a student leader had to have a larger perspective about what is happening in the world and has to have that Dr. Mohanty, still a presentation to put it across. I, I just would like Sorry. to interrupt you for a minute because, you know, uh, you know, we were finding it very difficult to connect to Mr. Joshi. And I think we have been able to connect with him finally. Sure, 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 Mr. Sure, Joshi, sure. can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Loud and clear. It's so wonderful to have you, uh, you know, in the... Uh, uh, in a way in which, you know, you're audible and we can uh, hear you. So my question, as I asked you earlier, was in which you disagreed that is there a, is there tension, um, is the tension increase between students and vice chancellor? Uh, and in the course of conversation, which moved the, the time you were not here, we were, we had discussed the issue of activism, but since uh, you have a great experience in terms of education, academics and university, has there been a substantial change in relationship between uh, the way universities are run and the students nationally? Yeah, I think, uh, you see, it is. it has to do with, of course, the, the size of the student population. You see, when I was a student at that time, we were not uh, more than a lakh. And now, in Delhi City, enrolls around 7 lakh students. So, the size has also increased. And, of course, I think the way uh, the pedag pedagogical changes are also there. And now that uh, you have national education policy being implemented, of course, I would say that higher education has become much more exciting and much more, I think, student-friendly as well. Now, you are talking of the relationship between, again, between the vice chancellors and the students. I think this relationship has to do with uh, how the vice chancellor or how the authority universities are conducting themselves. After all, in Hindi, vice chancellor is called Kulpati. Kulpati means he is the head of the family. And as a head of the family, he has to be responsive to the needs of the family members, be it the teachers, be it the non-teaching uh, staff or the students. And he has to, in fact, a good vice chancellor is one who is able to look at the needs of the students, needs of the teachers and needs of non-teaching staff and address them sympathetically. I think one of the one of the very important reasons why there is an unrest is perhaps this, this communication between authorities and the and the stakeholders has taken a backseat, and that is one of the principal reasons, according to me. After all, you know, like uh, why chancellors are also human beings, and if they keep consulting 
if they keep talking, if they keep having dialogue, keep having dialogue, I think that's the best way of, uh, of resolving the issues which are there in universities. Now, I would like to give an example of the university again, is that uh, we have had this uh, national education policy. So for a whole year, we debated it inside the universities and, you know, and took all the people on board. And I'm very glad to share with you that uh, we are now able to, uh, we are going to implement it from the next session and take all the advantages of the new national education policy, which is for the students, which is also for the teachers. Uh, sir, you know, this is a, this is a related issue and we would uh, like to hear from you your insight uh, because this, this is part of the larger debate because ultimately when we use three words, JNU, Viswabharati, LU, the universities, the places of excellence. So post-1980s, uh, the Dalit articulation has become stronger in universities. A lot of marginal communities have been able to uh, get a place in our educational system. Uh, do you feel that the activism and new social issues which have come up is a reflection of a changed demography which has taken place in universities, sir? No, I think universities uh, are becoming more responsive. They are becoming more and more responsive to the marginal section of society. In, uh, in recently, you know, like we have had OBC expansion and now very recently we have added uh, economically weaker sections as well. And we have not disturbed the the traditional SC and ST reservation universities. Now, these reservations are not only for the admissions, they are also the scholarship. There are special scholarships which are there by the University Grants Commission for these category of people. And I think every, uh, you know, all those marginal sections which uh, were earlier, perhaps in the 80s, there was nothing for the OBCs, there was nothing for the economically weaker sections, there was hardly anything for the uh, physically challenged students. They are all there and they are all uh, participating in the higher education and they are getting chance uh, and also scholarships. So I think things have improved. Uh, if you look into the 80s, things have definitely improved. And, uh, and I think higher education is becoming more and more inclusive. That is my view. Yes, uh, the higher education is uh, getting more and more uh, inclusive. But do you feel that uh, somehow the... Um, ideological differences have led to a lot of friction and violence. Like, for example, the statue of Vivekanand uh, became a completely different issue in JNU. Can you put this in context? Have universities again turned into ideological battlegrounds well, think, the way they were in 1970s? Well, I think I have no authority to speak about JNU. I can talk about my university, University of Delhi, which I actually I am handling right now. In University Delhi, I don't think these ideological, you know, we give freedom to students. And if you may be knowing that in Delhi University, you have got, in the student union, you have got NSUI and AVP both ruling. In the teacher uh, DUTA, you have right now, I think, left ruling. So Delhi University provides, I think, free space for all ideologies. And I think that is the beauty of Delhi University, which is the oldest, one of the oldest universities of India. No, if I have to, uh, that was a that was a question to you, sir, as an educationist, as a person, you know, who is running a university. It was not about uh, the nitty gritties of JNU. So I mean, I'll re I'll re I'll rephrase the question for you. Uh, my question is that has the has activism changed over a period of time, sir, in our universities in India? Uh, 
Well, why not? Activism, why should activism not change over time? Things become mature. And I think uh, uh, in the in the in, in the 70s, you know, there were not many parties. And now, recently in Delhi University, we have got Aam Admi Party also taking part in the in the in the elections. So then, of course, these as the national, uh, I think, uh, national political scenario is changing. Similarly, people are stakeholders in the Delhi University, whether it's the teacher union or the student union, and we welcome that. Professor, okay. Uh, yes, Debashi, do you have a do you have a question I, for the professor? I just, I just wanted to add, uh, Professor Joshi. Thank you for joining us, uh, Professor Joshi. It's interesting. Uh, we talked about uh, you know this um, this, this bonhomi within uh, Delhi University and that uh, you know the channel of communication that is always open between the students and faculty and the vice chancellor's office. But we, uh, but we also wanted to know whether uh, the uh, whether the interference from the center has been uh, much for uh, universities as a whole and Delhi University in specific. And so I would take two cases, two instances. Uh, one is um, uh, one is of course uh, you know this ongoing uh, problem that Delhi University has with uh, you know, the Center of Arts, the Ambedkar University, and the other being. Uh, you know, uh, Andhra government uh, wanting Sri Venkateshwara to merge with uh, with them, with their uh, with their university. Sir, and uh, the faculty was not too pleased, uh, you know, with this kind of intervention, sir. Would you would you think that uh, you know the interventions from both state and central governments uh, have come to play more in the last two, uh, the last couple of years, or sir, do you think these interventions are welcome? Well, I think uh, I would uh, I would say that. Uh, the universities are, uh, constitutionally speaking, autonomous bodies, and uh, the central government uh, and even uh, I think state government, they respect that uh, that autonomy of the university. We are very much we are free to have our own syllabi. We are free to have our own examination systems, admissions. We have our own uh, statutory bodies like academic council and executive council and university court in place. And I, as a vice chancellor, am answerable to these not to anyone outside. Now, you rightly said that there is a issue of the College of Art and the College of Art issue is there and we are very much concerned about College of Art. In fact, uh, our uh, Executive Council, uh, we have made a committee to look into the affairs of it because the university is guide by, guided by the Act of the Parliament and uh, we have to abide by those uh, regulations which are binding on us as where the Parliament of India is concerned. We are also answerable to Parliament of India not to any party or so our as you the council is answerable to parliament of india we have to send our report to the parliament of india now you're talking about uh, autonomy of certain colleges uh, that you're talking about well these colleges are if the government of india decides that they are going to provide autonomy to the colleges university of delhi would welcome that but till such time the government takes a decision they are integral part of university of delhi and we are very very proud of it because out of Ten top colleges, uh, as per the national ranking, five are from Delhi University, and first two are from Delhi University. And, and I'm very glad to share with you that both these colleges, it is Miranda House and Lady Siram College, are girls' colleges. So, so this is really a matter of great pride for us. We would definitely like to have them. They are uh, growing leaps and bounds by being with the University of Delhi. But if if the government of India or if the Parliament of India they decide to give them autonomous status, which if they deserve it, 
then definitely Delhi University would have no problem. Right. Thank you, sir. Uh, sir, you talked about autonomy of colleges and uh, you know that it is respected, uh, sir. So I wanted to talk to both. I mean, I wanted to ask uh, both you and uh, Mr. Mohanty here about uh, if autonomy is there and if it is transparent. What is uh, what is happening with the syllabus? What is happening with the revisionism in uh, syllabus that we have seen both in JNU and Delhi? And we're talking about at DU. We're talking about history and literature and. Uh, you know, other syllabuses that have in the undergraduate and postgraduate level that have kind of seen a change. Uh, so would you like to comment? You want me to comment? So we would like you to. Okay, now uh, let me tell you about Delhi University. There is a right, procedure sir. and the syllabus is not something which is stagnant. I think we keep, as the knowledge keep on changing, the syllabus also changes with the time. And there is a procedure of the change of syllabus. There is a courses committee, then there is a standing committee, there is academic council and executive council. This, the syllabus has been changing. The syllabus in 1970 is not the same as it is today. Syllabus of 19, 2015 is not the same as the same syllabus of today in any subject that you are talking about. So therefore, there is a procedure and I as a vice chancellor am responsible for that these procedures are strictly followed. And with respect to Delhi University, these procedures have been followed. And I think we have not had any interference, you know, from anywhere. We were autonomous to do that, and we did it inside the university, not any external, external influence. Uh, you know, my, this, this question is both to uh, Mr. Mohanty and uh, to, you, uh, to you, Mr. Joshi. I'll start with you. And this is not uh, directly uh, located to Delhi University, but I would like you to approach this issue since, you know, uh, as a post-colonial nation uh, with a tradition of uh, um, protest, which, which was uh, non-violent protest, which was inbuilt as part of a campaign uh, for independence, our universities have a different texture and a feel than the, the way universities have evolved in, uh, to say, Europe or uh, North America. My question to you is, that's a universities in India have also functioned as recruitment ground for political parties. Uh, for example, Congress has NSUI, RSS has got ABVP. Now you said Ahmadni Party's uh, political wing has become active. So my question to you is because we started with the fact, the word tumult, uh, which is uh, which is relationship primarily between students and the authority. So the question, sir, is that has this activism done well for our uh, academics, universities, and students nationally. If you can give us and share your national perspective, and then Mr. Mohanty can join in. No, I think uh, universities are places where I think ideologies are being studied. People study about theories, people study about different ideas, and a good university is one which invites, which encourages all the ideas. And I think political Getting into political parties, University of Delhi is sending people to political parties, sending people to judiciary, sending people to bureaucracy, sending people to academics, sending people to, I think, all walks of life. And why, why, why the politicians should not get the benefit of higher education, get the benefit of multiple ideologies? And I think universities are the fair grounds where we should learn about what is right, what is wrong. And I think we should have that autonomy. So, university should provide them. I think university should be the 
playground to provide them with access to different kind of views, different kind of ideologies, and let the student choose which path they would like to take in their future. Uh, Mr. Mohanty, you know, I'll just add to it because uh, uh, Mr. Joshi has addressed it. But, you know, when you answer this question, also factor in what happens in state universities. Because JNU, Delhi University, Viswabharti, they have the academic and intellectual wherewithal to absorb political activism. They have mechanisms in place and glare in place, administrative institutions in place. What happens to universities who are in states districts where there are no such mechanism and ultimately you end up with classes not happening for weeks and months at end. Mr. Mohanty. Uh, I'd say that uh, look at any university anywhere, the student activism, student uh, movement uh, becomes uh, non-violent and becomes a part of the democratic process when there is absolutely no incentive to any specific organization from the ruling establishment. Ruling establishment within the university campus and ruling establishment outside. When we were students in JNU that time, Congress was in power and we had, uh, we were a left-wing group. I was not a communist group. We were a left-wing non-communist group. We had our friends in NSUI we had our friends in ABVP. ABVP and NHY, all of us contested together what within a democratic environment because neither the university vice chancellor nor the from the central government or the ruling party at the center, there was any incentive to NHY to create mayhem. But today, as I see from outside and as I go to the university again and again and see from inside as well, what is happening, the, the, the student group of the ruling establishment is getting direct incentive from the university administration and from the authorities outside. And that's why they are causing mayhem, creating illusions and unleashing violence and still getting away. Look at last year, they dance of people from Delhi University, from others belonging to the ABVP marched into the campus Police was standing by, did not take any action. University did not take any action. And that's the reason why these are the people who are, in fact, getting more incentivized to create a certain kind of a dominant culture in the campus. And that is what is dangerous. And that is what happens in the regional universities as well. If a ruling party, if Samajwadi party is in power in Uttar Pradesh, and in the university, Allahabad University of Benares University, SP student wing, is there, uh, which is in power, then obviously the vice chancellor extends all support and that is how they become the, the ruffians that are ruling the roost in the campus. And that's a culture that must come to an end. Otherwise, our university campuses will go to dots. Do you agree with this, uh, uh, Mr. Joshi? Do you agree with this? No, I think uh, he's talking about... Uh, maybe JNU, maybe Allahabad University. I, I said I would not like to comment on them, but uh, I would definitely like to talk about Delhi University. And in Delhi University, I think this breathing space is there for all different people from different ideologies. And I'm very glad that in Delhi University, uh, we do not have these kind of clashes. 
but so you Hello. know if if we have yep. to uh, if, we, if we have to and if you have to look at the future of universities in india as institutions of uh, academic excellence uh, what is the road ahead because if you if you look at the way uh, higher education or the education at the high level evolving uh, a major part of it has it has gone outside the universities i i asked this question before you joined into my colleague dibashree also uh, a chunk of employment the issue of employability uh, and parts of education are beyond universities so when we conceive of a university what is the uh, road map for the indian universities sir you asking me mr joshi yeah no but then uh, let me tell you you know like i think universities have to become more responsive university universities are becoming more responsive as well as for the university is concerned now we are not only concerned about our students our teachers we are also have a responsibility as far as india at large is concerned and recently we have launched a scheme called vidya vistar i don't know maybe you have heard about it and nearly 50 institutions across india in remote areas in backward areas have joined different departments and the colleges of the university and we are uh, collaborating we are cooperating with them and i think that's a very exciting thing that is that is happening as far as the employability is concerned i think in the recent uh, qs ranking delhi university had a had a very respectable place in fact we were ranked uh, 21st in the world which is i think very commendable so delhi university is very much responsive about its role not only towards the students that it is uh, giving education but also towards the nation towards india and therefore we are uh, we are much conscious about what i call as academic social responsibility of university of delhi that's a fair point and on this you know i like to uh, before i take closing comments from uh, both you uh, and mr mohanty i would like to get my colleague debashri debashri uh, your thoughts here can private universities like for example ashoka and jindal and other universities can fill this space uh, which is uh, not there right now in lot of universities were funded by the government and for example uh, noted columnist and academic one of those private universities had to quit because the funders had a problem for the articles he wrote in a private newspaper so to frame my question can these private universities fill that gap debushri uh, thank you kartikeya uh, uh, you know coming up from what um, mr joshi and uh, mr sanjay joshi and uh, mr mohanty said uh that you know there is a social responsibility that the universities uh, have vis-a-vis -vis the country it's not just restricted to the faculty and the students um uh, at the and there is a reason why our central universities have done uh, very well with with, with rankings and uh, you know it's not just the, uni the central universities are not just universities they are just building blocks for uh, you know our future bureaucrats and uh, politicians so it is the responsibility of uh, the university Uh, and they have a role to play in how and what uh, kind of human uh, human beings come out of these universities and how they are shaping up private universities uh, you know also have a role to play uh, we you know it's a level playing ground uh, private universities have a role to play vis-a-vis -vis education vis-a-vis -vis, uh, you know setting a different uh, you know different standard uh, you know we talked about taking education to global uh, you know to, to you know to making uh, education more globalized 
to uh, to us taking its uh, you know uh, new strides in education so that is where i feel that the role of private universities will come to play uh, it will be a nice balance i feel uh, that you know that the central universities are there they have a social responsibility to fill up they have a different set of uh, ideologies that they uh, cater to and a separate set of uh, students that we are uh, seeing that crop out of these central universities private universities on the other hand uh, will also have a role to play vis-a-vis -vis taking education to another uh, level uh, you know uh, and if both of them can work in tandem then nothing like it then it is a dream come true i think for the education uh, space in india uh, which you know if there is some elements lacking in the central universities if the private universities can fill in those gaps uh so then uh, uh, so then we we see you know if the work as an integral whole uh you know then we can see that uh, our rankings uh, changing so i'm sure mr jo professor joshi and mr mohanty will agree that it is you know they comp they should complement each other and uh, and that's how we will see education uh, at the end of the day uh, winning the race uh, that's that's what i would have to conclude okay so now uh, to you mr mohanty and then to uh, mr joshi your closing comments uh do you do you feel that this uh, the the tension is uh, transitory in nature or uh, or a result of a larger ideological battleground which is in play in india to you mr mohanty and then we'll conclude with mr joshi uh, i just think about the uh, private universities you may rightly mentioned about uh, this pratap banometers issue uh, in fact uh, disillusioned uh, many of us and uh, it's it's partly because it's in, in in india we do not have universities like uh, uh, like harvard or princeton or is a university or even smaller universities or stanford or, or any other even smaller universities which have immense amount of wealth and we, they do not have to subject themselves to the government for anything but as it came out apparently the sotra university wants to expand its campus and for that it needs the central government sanction and for that they will have to satisfy the government and keep it in good humor and that's why the critics beyond a point would not be tolerated that's a situation which you do not see it in in west in america or even in europe and that's the reason the university professors students are much more critical look at the professors in the university in american universities and the european universities how critical they are of the government and can in india how many of them can afford to be like that in india i'm sure the moment they, they become the university administration will ensure that find some ways to throw them out of the university all that's that's the challenge in the campuses today and that's why in until and unless we have you know in fact as you said osuta university was best placed to play an important role as a liberal uh, education institution in the country but that certainly let us down because they have their compulsions because they don't it's not that they don't adhere to that value but they have their compulsion and they know this government will batter them down if they do not conform to their line so that's the reality of india and that is the reason why in india that kind of freedom the autonomy of the university whether the government or the private government university it's not simply i'm not saying simply about the central government that the the, the today's government we even look at all the state governments they all are have become the handmaiden 
of any whichever party is in power in different states, they carry out their mandate. And that's why the syllabus, uh, uh, she was talking about the syllabus, all are being done at the mandate of the of the ruling establishment, their ideological framework. Look at exactly any ideological framework that exists currently in the campus is being thrown out and the ideological framework which would defend and would protect, would protect the current ideological framework they are being included. That's the reality, not only at the central government, at the central universities, that's also a reality at the state university. And so long as we have this kind of a control of the government over the administration. And so long as we, the citizens of India, do not become the critical dissenters to express our view and become conformists, this situation will continue to persist in this country. Very well put. And uh, finally, uh, Mr. Joshi, closing comments? Well, uh, I think uh, I would like to say that in in the growth of this nation, great nation India, universities have played a very, very important role. And I'm talking of public universities. At the time of at the time of independence, there were only 20 universities, and now we have more than 1,000 universities in India. And if you see people like me owning the chair of vice chancellor in the university, it's all because of the of the kind of education that I get in the public universities. I would otherwise not have got the chance. So many people like me, many marginalized people from marginalized section, many people from hills, many people from forests, many people from deserts, many people from poor families, they got a chance to get access to higher education. And I think that's a great contribution that the public universities have made, central universities have made, state universities have made. Now over the years, yes, I see there is some decline in the standards of some state universities. For example, they were, you know, uh, there were Oxford of the East we had, and uh, there is a decline there. But I think, I think we should not undermine the contribution made by universities, public universities in particular. Now there are, uh, of course, you talked about private universities are coming, but private universities, of course, can complement, but they cannot replace. They cannot replace the public universities, and I think government is very sensitive to the role that public universities have to play, a role that central universities and state universities have to play. And therefore, they are trying to give more, I think, uh, more funds, special funds for taking care of the marginalized sections, as I said, SC, ST, OBC, and EWS and PWD categories. So I think I still see a great future for public universities in a country like India. And uh, and I think this uh, there is a great future for public universities. And of course, private universities will come, but they will definitely be able to complement and not replace the public universities. I think uh, I think that's uh, very well put, but I would uh, conclude this uh, conversation by saying that uh, the success of the university uh, in future uh, will lie with in its success to create a wonderful, beautiful, industrious and intellectually rich environment for the students. Uh, and I think the responsibility will be on students that they should not fail the future generation of this country, which is youth, uh, young men and women of this country. And thank you, all of you. Thank you, Debashri. Uh, thank you, Professor Joshi. And thank you, Mr. Mohanty, for joining us on this debate. We'll be back uh, next week uh, with a similar topic uh, on which we can have a conversation uh, 
uh, without heated discussion where participants are able to put their points across thank you very much and thank you for listening it thank you thank you